come with us. Into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome, fellow travelers, into the wildwood. A pagan podcast with <laughs> your hosts, myself, Lee Johnson, or Red Oak, and Rev Kai. All right, welcome, hello, hello. everybody. Uh, let's see who we have here today. We've got Lady Capera, Solomon, Popamies. Pamela Baker, Lucia, and Richard, and Yolandi. There we go. How is everybody today? I hope you had a good two weeks, because we haven't seen you in two weeks, personally. Uh, uh, Lucia started with the jokes again. <laughs> what did the chicken say to the librarian? Black. Mm. <laughs> what did the frog say to the chicken when they saw the book read it? I don't know. Okay. All right. Oh, oh, we've even got little <laughs> drum rolls and everything now. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep, yep. All We're right. Gonna have some fun. Um, gotta, gotta, always have to. Okay, so uh, to help our algorithm and everything else, uh, please give us a thumbs up and comments, not just in the chats, in the in the actual comment as well, if you can. Uh, that helps us along. And uh, check out the link in the description where you can find the Wildwood Temple on Discord and the Facebook group and have a look at our site, our website. Okay. So, let's get going. Today we're doing another part two of Mental Health and Magic. Uh, seemed to be a, a much needed show. I uh, just want to say before we begin that we are not doctors or psychologists and nothing we say in here is medical advice. This is purely a discussion. Uh, to get the disclaimers in. Yep. Get into trouble. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, throw your questions in the chat. Especially and... if there is anything that we didn't get to last week, you know share that with us um we had a really or two weeks ago fortnight ago because uh, we weren't actually here last week and it looks like we won't be here next week either so we'll be airing uh one of our book talks or mm. a follow the right rabbit i think we're due for a book talk yeah next one's a book talk um i did save the chat that we didn't get to last time so oh, i'll good, stop good. with that I think there was one we did actually. I made a before. list. Ah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Um, so there was a question from Solomson. Um, I noticed that when I interact and receive messages, regardless of what it's what it's over or current mood, I begin to tear up. Uh, I don't know why, but it's like a welling up of a cry spell. Do you have insight? I'm I, I not... get that. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like it's um, system overload or um, 
also I kind of think of it as um, the uh, endocrine dump that happens. Crying itself is very cleansing. Um, when you have a whole bunch of emotions or um, the hormones that, that cause emotions flowing in the bloodstream, crying literally pulls them out of your bloodstream. And uh, there have been really cool tests where they take the tears and they look at them and you can find uh, the different hormones that cause anger and rage and sadness and happiness in the tears. So there are really happy tears and sad tears and that sort of thing. But um, pulling all of that through does help give the body a cleansing effect. And there are lots of things that trigger that threshold for the body to say, okay, we need to cry uh, because we need to reestablish that baseline. So it's not just sadness. It's not... Um, just fear it's not just the quote-unquote negative emotions that can trigger that overwhelm that's why we get happy tears you can be so happy that you start crying and it's a form of self-regulation and i find um, visions uh, messages things that really hit home you know and make you feel the feels intensely also trigger that uh, response and it's a natural normal response and and I always, I find it's much better to go with it than to try to suppress it, mm. to try to avoid it. Because then you're not letting your body re-regulate. You're not letting your nervous system and everything re-regulate. Crying is, is a part of that. And if um, you just lean into it, um, it, it, will, it will do the thing it needs to do. And it will help you re-regulate and also help you mentally process uh, what's happening so that you can experience it both in the the emotional side and the logical side that you can have both of those things with that regulation moment in the middle so crying is a wonderful tool in magic uh, no matter what's going on it just it helps you process it helps you go through it mm. I've also found that um, sometimes it's related to love Mm. Um, especially when yeah. you're working with um, a deity and they, they come through so strongly that that love is there and it just becomes overwhelming and the emotions just overflow. That fall to yeah. your knees and sob in the presence of greatness kind of feeling. Mm. Yeah. 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 The, the original awful, full yeah. of awe, mm. you know. Uh, and it's it's absolutely overwhelming when it happens, and that's that's a very good sign that what you're doing really is real, yeah. you know, that <laughs> that you're not imagining. Astral parasites don't produce overwhelming feelings of love, mm. you know. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, as you said, it is a confirmation that um, what you're doing is is true. It's it's really happening. It's you know, it, it becomes tangible um, in the sense that you wouldn't be crying with that, that awe if something real wasn't there. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that uh, I, I mentioned it previously, there was that moment I had when um, I dreamt of uh, Shima and I was walking to the shop and I was trying to put the dream together, and then I realized that was Sri Ma, and she was accepting me. And I just 
in the middle of the street, I would just burst out crying. It was like, oh, well, bugger everybody else. I don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot of times as uh, magicians, we have to be, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. Because we're experiencing a a reality (laughs) that they're not, you know. Mm. I've had times uh, connecting with trees and with plant spirits that are just filled overwhelmingly filled with love and connection and and that depth of experience and and oneness you know mm-hmm. and burst out sobbing or or wake up from a dream crying because yeah. the dream was was that connection and yeah. you know at long long ago i would try to avoid that and not cry and not let that happen and and not be in control must always be in control but uh, nah not really <laughs> i think um leaning into it is is the right kind of control mm-hmm. you know you don't want to be uh ridden and and completely out of control but choosing to lean into it is the right kind of control because it is mm-hmm. about re-regulation it is about full experience and uh that part of my life i lived when i wouldn't let myself cry and i wouldn't let myself feel things that was miserable Mm. you know yeah because you're not immersing yourself in the actual experience itself you're kind of backing off uh putting a wall up and then you don't get the full effect right yeah um all right let me see also from Solomon, I didn't know it could last for years. That makes so much sense. So much. So, that makes so much more sense. There we go. Uh, oh, it must have been a reply to something we said the last time. Yeah, burnout does does last for many years. It's not a brief thing, um, and it's because you know often by the time we get to burnout, we should have stopped months ago. Uh, we should have allowed ourselves to rest. We should have stopped masking. We should have stopped all of this stuff. And masking is such a big problem and leads to burnout so consistently, bleh, so consistently because we're not being ourselves. You know, it's inauthentic. We're pretending to be someone else and having to constantly mask or act or pretend or self monitor is absolutely exhausting. Um, and, and unfortunately, most people, uh, most neurodivergent people, uh, autistics expe- especially, but also people with ADD and ADHD, learned in childhood that masking was the only way to get along because they were rejected and not accepted um, without doing that. And so we continue those patterns and as we get older, we take on more and more responsibility. That's just how going from a child to an adult works. And eventually, it's too much to self-monitor and uh, play pretend and also take on all of the responsibility. And you, you can't keep up. And that's how, how burnout gets to. But often as adults, um, we don't know until it happens. <laughs> And then we have to go through the very, very long process of healing from it. Um, If we're talking from, 
you know, the, the biochemistry side, burnout is when the adrenals shut down and are no longer producing the hormones you need to run your body. Uh, you go into uh, fight or flight or fawn or the other F, uh, pleasing, and uh, we, we can no longer uh, perform regulation. We can no longer remain in a homeostasis that, that produces health. We're just in a constant state of stress. Um, so if you can avoid burnout, please do. But I know so many people that end up there and that's how they figure out um, that they have autism or they have ADD or ADHD. Um, mm -hmm. And and I keep referring to those conditions under neurodivergence and neurodivergence is a much bigger umbrella than that because those are the ones I'm most familiar with. And those are the ones that there is um, a lot of research into. Uh, for example, with uh, the cluster B personalities, as they're called, uh, masking isn't uh, usually a part of that for uh, those uh, personalities. However, um, you know, comorbidities, which is another term I don't like. A lot of these terms, I'm not really a fan of, because they're all based on a deficit model. And I don't believe in a deficit model. I believe in a diversity model. That humans come in a lot of different forms. And we need, we need diversity. Diversity is the law of the land when we look at nature. You know, uh, plants do not grow in monocultures. Uh, Insects and, and animals do not live in isolated ecosystems. They live in symbiotic ecosystems where everything is, is diverse and interrelated and supports one another and maintains balance. And the idea is that humans should all be one way, should all be one thing. Turns out it doesn't work. So we need all of it. We need the great neurodivergence and the brains working in all the different ways in humanity for all of us to thrive. Mm. Uh, Schrodinger's cats asked, uh, I'm not sure how to ask this, go straight ahead and ask it, that's as simple as that. Uh, is there some kind of relationship between nature spirits and a sudden high sexual drive? Could it be dangerous to interact with them? Um, I have heard this a lot. Um, people who do interact with not just nature spirits, but a variety of other spirits will have a sudden heightened um, state of sexual lust even. Um, I'm not sure if you've come across this. No, not really. Not something I've come across. No. Um, no. I mean... There are spirits that um, I'm trying to remember where provoke I heard sexual last. responses, um, but that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, I have heard um, one explanation of it being that um, energy enters in the pelvic area, and this often be misinterpreted as being. Uh, sexual drive, lust, and such things. It's not actual sexual energy, but it feels very similar. Um, you know, that welling up of the energy and the, the, the energy of the magic. Um, and it can I have be heard that in relation to, yeah, it, it comes into the root chakra and then uh, doesn't flow. 
it yeah. stays there. And so that's often interpreted as uh, lust or, or an increased sexual drive, um, mm -hmm. which I guess I didn't really think of that because, because that's not what's really going on. You yeah, know, but it it's not so an increase. In yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think in that, that discussion, I, I was, thinking about now i think it was also mentioned in relation to a uh, mentor student relationship um because mm. what often happens is that the the student starts to have the, the the energy starts to flow it starts to move with the work that they're doing and because it feels so sexual it gets misinterpreted and misrelated and the um a sexual urge or a sexual desire starts to get laid onto metal. Good old um, transference plus energy yeah. work. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I think it happens with spirits in a lot of cases, actually. Yeah. yeah so the way to deal with that is to uh, move the energy further up the spine, um, mm. you know, move it into the next cauldron, overturn. Uh, the first cauldron, so that it 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 contains instead of uh, blocks. So, you know, breathing exercises, good old pranayama helps with that. Um, as do moving meditations. Um, and sometimes you'll go to an energy healer in that state, and they will talk about um, your your chakras are blocked, or you have an energy blockage within the belly. Um, depends upon, you know, which system we're talking about, whether it's the seven chakras or the three cauldrons or, or whatever. But stuff is stuck down there and it's not moving up and flowing through the body. So all of those relate to that kind of idea. And, you know, um, unblock it, get the energy moving, practice moving energy through. The other thing you can do is uh, try to move where the energy is coming in, move it to the heart uh, and bring it in there. And then again, if you can do that and bring it in through the heart and it's not moving, you'll get overwhelmed with feelings of love and compassion. Just mm -hmm. like if it's coming in through the root chakra, you get overwhelmed with feelings of lust as the form of connection. And if it's coming in through the head, you get overwhelmed with the, um, the big perspective the seeing everything in the universe, oops, and everything as a giant web of connection. So all of those are concerned with suddenly you're plugged in, suddenly you're connected to everything, and you're going to have the responses of feeling that overwhelming connection because it's not a state most of us exist in 24/7. You know, we we live in in isolation those little uh, souls in little bodies, rarely connecting with others. And um, especially if we do not have other connection models, uh, and this is not any kind of deficit, everybody gets demonstrated certain models of, the, of ways to connect in our society as we grow up. And if you've only got one, and in modern Western American society, most people only get sex as the demonstration of connection. That's what you'll default to until you learn about another model. You can't 
spontaneously generate your own model. It has to be demonstrated to you before you can engage with it. So uh, there's that too, that that's just the only model you've had up until now. And so that's where um, the interpretation goes. It's not really necessarily what's happening behind it, but you know, we get all of this input and this stimuli and then our, our consciousness tells us what it is. And there's an interpretation filter there. Our consciousness is filtering out some of the stimuli, deciding that it's not needed. Um, and then we, we want to understand it, what happened. And we always answer that for ourselves. What happened? You know, what was that? And so if we've only got one possible answer to connection, it's always going to be the answer until we come up with some others. Mm. Also, just want to add there, it may not actually be a blockage of a chakra uh, or an energy, energy center. It could be that I always think of it like, um, you know, if we think in terms of Kundalini Tantra, where you are trying to slowly raise the energy up from a certain point up, up the up Shashumna, the spine. And I always think of it like you do the practice, do the practice, do the practice, and kind of push it up like a water in a tube. And then you stop doing the practice and it comes back down again. Mm. Um, so that energy kind of stays in the sacral area. And if it's staying in the sacral area, you have that, that sexual desire. It's going to be very lust-filled. Um, and it's, it's only when you push it past that barrier that you start to realize that the sexual act isn't just about the physical gratification it has um other things involved in it love devotion etc etc um so it's kind of carry on doing the practice and you'll start pushing that water up the tube a bit more yeah and um, and pressure so pressure is part of it said, too uh, i sometimes experience moments uh, mm. I would say pressure is so part of it delay? too. There's a constant, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a delay for us connecting. Um, but there is mm. a constant pressure when you're making a connection with spirits um, that we aren't always terribly used to. And sometimes that constant pressure, um, like if it's flowing in through the root chakra or through the heart chakra, um, if we're not consciously allowing the energy to flow, and that's a whole nother skill set from making contact with spirits, um, it will cause physical stimulation, but it's pretty low level. And that's enough to trigger your brain to go, oh, hey, something's happening. Um, and I associate this with lust, or um, that's also uh, how nightmares work. You know, the all of the lore of the spirit that comes and sits on your chest and it feels like pressure and it gets heavy and you can't breathe. That's the same process here. Connection with a spirit through one of the main cauldrons, it's a bunch of pressure and the energy is not flowing and it produces a physical sensation. And then of course the body reacts to that physical stimuli and we get interpretation and explanation of it. So um, and also the same thing happens when we talk about the spirit entering through the back of the head mm. and there's that pressure there 
that pushes the head forward and pushes us into trance. So always having the energy flowing is not always the answer, um, but it is part of the, the process here that is happening. Mm. Um, all right, Solomon's son asked, I sometimes experience moments of being brought to an upwelling of tears during work. Is this part of that energy buildup? It could be. Um, it mm. depends what work you're doing. If it's particular energy work, it could be that you are having an overwhelming experience in your, your heart center, for instance. Um, or your connection with people, so it could be uh, a bit lower down. Um, so it, it could be the experience of the energy that's flowing in a particular area, which is creating those uh, emotions. Um, but it could just be the love that you feel. Yeah, true. And doing energy work, um, like most other magic things, you know, there's this curve and curve and curve of learning and then you get to a plateau and you feel like you can't go any further and the breakthroughs that bring you off those plateaus are often well breaking they're disturbing mm. in energy work they're new experiences that you haven't physically felt before and they're not always a one-time experience sometimes you will continue to have that kind of breakthrough, overwhelming um, movement of energy and feelings and sensations for a while as you're breaking out of that plateau and moving to the next phase, stage, whatever you want to call it, of your energy work. And it's just one of those um, <clears throat> getting used to doing it, getting used to what those sensations are and coming to feel in control of it. Um, there's a lot of energy work and a lot of spirit work that feels like we're out of control uh, the first several times we do it because a lot's happening and we don't quite know what's going on. You know, we're having new things. And so uh, learning to experience those new things is part of it too. But also, you know, I, I've been doing this for 30 some years and I, I still cry. Mm. It's just part of the way my body re-regulates. I shake. Um, physical tremors and shaking. If you've ever watched a deer or, or other animals and they go through a sudden burst of fight or flight or, or something like that, they will stand and they will just shake as they re-regulate. Mm. That's a pretty normal response for a, a mammalian body to have also. So crying, shaking, rocking is also um, a way of re-regulation. Um, Vagus nerve re-regulation is a big part of not only magic, but um, dysregulation is one of the diagnostic symptoms for a bunch of neurodivergencies also. So um, that just means that we don't re-regulate um, as fast or in the same ways that other people do. And that's one of those things I highly recommend you learn uh, as many regulation techniques as you can learn about and you practice them and you make them part of your toolkit because uh, outside of magic, it's also super helpful to have all of these re-regulation techniques. 
four days when we are overwhelmed. It helps avoid burnout. It helps deal with the pressures of just having to mask and deal with those things. So, and um, if we have time, we can go over those, or maybe we can include those in another show or something like that. We can share our regulation techniques, but that's important. Yeah. Something else I want to try and fit in uh, either today or in the next one is our Dark Knight of the Salt. Because uh, I can mm. often get confused with depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Put that so on the list. Look here. Yeah. Um, Neonite. Hello, Kai, Lee, and everyone. Hello, hello. Uh, I also mm. saw. Oh, it's Schrodinger's cats that joined. Yeah. Um, hello, hello. Happy to see part two of this important topic. Hope you're having a good day so far. My mind's always so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, My day started well <laughs> for this morning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a good day today. Though. Um, Solemn said this is incredibly enlightening to past cases. Yulandi, I've tried to go off my meds the past few weeks and could feel I wasn't ready and immediately went back to my correct dosage. I can do this because I know what to look out for. It is very important that you speak to your doctor before going off meds. You also need to wean yourself off, not just stop taking meds. If you stop, you can go into withdrawal, which is not fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this yeah. There are many medications. Actually, and it's not... Mm. Carry on. Okay, um, I was, I was going to say it comes up a lot, and it's not just uh, a big delay for us. Um, it's not just people wanting to get off the meds. It's also people afraid to actually start because they've heard all the horror stories of you know, the, the side effects that it can actually cause. And the problem is that people do actually get their there are other options, and they always don't work for, for people either. But, you know, it's something we, we, some, we sometimes need. Yeah. And, and yeah, like Yolandi said, don't go cold turkey. Most uh, medications that are prescribed for things like ADHD, ADD, those sort of things, you can't stop cold turkey. Um, they will cause terrible side effects and withdrawal symptoms and, and can be life-threatening in some cases. So um, always always work with your doctor. If they prescribed it for you, there's a reason they prescribed it for you. And um, there's a bunch of different medications that, you know, you have to work and, and find the right meds and you have to work to find the right dosage and that sort of thing that works for you. But there is a fear of medication um, and also, I, I find in, in pagan circles this idea that natural is safe and good and man-made is not and bad. And that's some bullshit. Natural will kill you, too. <laughs> you know, um, medicine is medicine. No matter which way is right for you and what works for you, it, it's not about better or, or more natural is better or anything like that. You know, work with a doctor, work with someone to guide you through the process. Um, and, and like 
getting readings like any other medicine, we're often too close to it ourselves in order to be making those decisions when we're in crisis. So, yeah. Um, but like we talked about last time, um, if you go on medication and the voices disappear and the hallucinations disappear, that wasn't your spiritual contact. Those were hallucinations. You know, um, you can still absolutely have a magical practice, absolutely have a spirit practice, um, have um, devotion with the divine while on medication that helps you regulate, that helps you sleep, that helps you live a life that you want to live. That's the point of medication is to help you live the life that you want to live. It's not to take things away from you. It's not to make things less. It's to help you be in control and help you live a full and happy life. So please don't think that, you know, natural is automatically better because it's labeled natural. Please don't think that you will lose contact with your gods and your guides and, and all of that sort of thing to go on medication. If you need medication to live a happy life, do whatever it takes. That's That's part of being a magician is making sure that you are taken care of and that you are doing the best you can for yourself and living the best life. I mean, that's why we do magic. And I know people that like to add charms to their meds, you know, just like we talk about putting sigils on our water bottles and that sort of thing. You do the same thing with your med bottles, you know, sigils for health and, and bind runes for stability and thriving and all of that stuff. That's, that's what this all is, you know? So you can incorporate that in there and, and get a holistic support for managing your life and managing your body. I mean, just cause your body isn't making some chemical or hormone doesn't mean you have to live without it. You can go buy it. Mm. Yeah. I must say one of the things I've, I'm quite happy with, um, that's sort of changed over the past couple of decades. Um, but it's still around is the, you know, the, the alternative medicine and bringing the term contemporary uh, medicines into the, the mix instead of the, the whole alternative thing, because alternative speaks of as an alternative to um, you know, standard medicine, whereas complementary, it complements what you're doing. Um, and so, right. you know, stop taking the meds, the chemicals are bad for you and everything else. And that's a load of crap, bullshit. Don't listen to people like that. No. Well, and the other problem, as someone who has taken various meds over the years for various things, you're not functioning, right? So you go get help and you get a medication. And it takes a while before it works. You have to, it has to build up in your system. You have to find the right dose. You have to find the right chemical, right? Okay. But eventually you get there and you're functioning and you forget that you weren't functioning. And you think, why am I taking these? Everything's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you want to stop and you're still functioning for a while because it's a delay. And then you slowly slide back into non-functioning and realize, oh, I need my meds again. <laughs> you know, so that's a very common experience until uh, we learn, hey, this is what makes me functional. And I 
I am lucky to have a partner that when I get to that point reminds me, you are functional because you take this. Mm. You know, yes, it's been several years. Yes, you still need it. So there are definitely meds that work like that, that have that time delay that aren't necessarily instant. There are meds that are instant too, that, you know, I didn't take it today and I feel like crap kind of stuff. But um, our minds, you know, play tricks on us. Um, our conscious um, dialogue with the self uh, is not always terribly trustworthy uh, because the ego always wants to win and will always tell a narrative that keeps it in control. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like it, it becomes the norm and you think you're okay now because you feel okay. So mm -hmm. stop the meds. Um, and that happens for meditation too. That happens for other magical yeah. practices too. We think, well, I'm not getting anything out of this immediately like I used to, so I don't need to continue this practice. I don't need to keep doing these bare bones basics of doing my breathing every day and doing my grounding every day and mm. you stop and then after a while you realize oh everything's falling apart mm. so yeah. you know yeah. start keeping the energy flowing all right uh solemn said the tears will come whether trying to contact spirits readings meditations uh it feels like it, it is directly connected to my turn on the magician's mind. Uh, and also said an episode on regulation or Dark Knight would be epic. Um, that's, I think that's pretty normal. It could be It could be an intense flow of energy. And I, I think having that intense mm -hmm. flow of energy is actually a really, really good thing. It's, it's a good indication that what you're doing is actually really, really working. Um, because you know, a lot of us will do the work day in and day out and not really see any effects, will not feel anything and think, well, you know, why are we doing this in the first place? But if you're getting that intense rush of energy through your system and it's causing tears because of the, again, coming back to that word, or, then it's a really good indication that what you're doing is working. And I will add that is most likely... Um, if it's happening every single time, that is most likely a phase and you will get to where it doesn't happen every single time. Mm. But for it to be occurring every single time is a perfectly normal phase in the process. Let's mm. uh, see, so Neil Knight, so true, I heard horror stories before I started taking meds, so I refused to do it for years. But when I started and found the right ones, it was one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, I was also afraid it would numb my intuition and affecting affect my and affecting my magic. But it didn't any more. You know, uh, um, that is a common thing. I mean, as as we said, well, as Kai mentioned just now, and we said last time. If you start taking the meds and the hallucinations and the waste go away, it's probably because they weren't actually real in the first place. Um, it's a difficult thing to deal with. Um, but at least it gives you a, a good indication of what's actually happening or what was happening. Um, but, you know, the problem there is that 
people get into that, that situation and they then want somebody to tell, tell them to get off the meds because now it's not. Yeah. And if there's something wrong, go talk to your doctor. Um, you know, not every med works for every person. There is a period of, of trial and error for everyone to find the right set of chemicals and the right dosage. We're getting better, though. We have, like, some genetic tests that help identify what's more likely to work and, and what is likely to not work. So um, more progress every day about how this all works. But, you know, as magicians, we also want a holistic approach. And I don't think there's anything wrong with talking to your doctor about, I want to do this in a holistic way. I want to incorporate meditation practices. I want to incorporate mindfulness into this process. And, you know, if you need time to do that, okay, talk to your doctor about that. Um, and if your doctor is not on board with, I think, some pretty reasonable things like meditation and mindfulness in the process of, of getting you healthy and in control, find another uh, opinion. Talk to another doctor if you can. Because, I mean, mo most um, psychologists and that field recognize the value of, of daily meditation, of daily mindfulness practices, of breathing practices, uh, of, you know, these uh, re-regulation practices through um, vagus nerve resets and that sort of thing. This is not out there left field kind of stuff. It's accepted in the medical and psychological paradigms. And, you know, it also empowers you to take control of your own health. I mean, we do call this mental health. We are pursuing health. We are pursuing wholeness. We are pursuing that in all areas of our lives. To be a functioning magician, you have to pursue health. I mean, that's why you need a physical practice to go with your mental practice. You you need, you know, the the physical side, whether that's an exercise routine or getting in the gym or doing yoga or something. You cannot let your physical body rot and still practice magic. The same thing for your mental health. You must maintain your mental health if you want to practice magic. And so that that holistic approach is accepted, you know, in all of the fields and, you know, having a good physical practice is also part of mental health. You mm. will not have the balance of, of chemicals and hormones and all the other things that we talk about if you don't have a good physical practice. And that, that's different for everybody. Some people get up and, and go for a five mile run. Some people do their sun salutations. Some people like to go lift weights in the gym, but you need something. You need to pursue health in all realms. And so, you know, doing that in combination with taking your meds is, is also an empowering way to pursue it. But don't also don't just discount that, um, you know, there's, there's advantages in meds. There's advantages in, in all of these things, in all of this pursuit. And the answer is different for everyone because all of us are some unique combination of things. You know, just because the techniques I talk about and the things that work for me, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll work for anybody else. But what else have we got except to share our experiences and hope that it will help other people? 
And I think in relation to the physical practice as well, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything energetic. You can, I think, just getting outside, I'm going to say it's fresh air, it's not always fresh air anymore. Um, but, you know, breathing the air and, and actually having the sun on your body, on your skin, um, just doing that alone can help a lot as well. Terribly important. Well, and like um, ADD and ADHD are uh, um, associated with delayed sleep phase and uh, lower production of melatonin, later production in the, uh, the uh, circadian rhythm of melatonin. And one way to deal with that is go outside, experience morning light, experience evening light. Because those particular light waves do signal productions of, of different chemicals for maintaining the circadian rhythm. It's, it's a very, very direct thing that this works. And in our modern worlds, we're enclosed in our cubicles with our artificial light. You know, we can have um, the blue light or the red light or whatever time we want. And we aren't really in phase with the sun and in phase with the moonlight. You know, and light is so very, very vital to the regulation of our bodies and the regulation of our minds. So absolutely get outside. Um, there's all sorts of benefits in just breathing air that is in contact with living soil. There's a bunch of microbes and everything we need in our bodies. You know, uh, more than 70% of us isn't us. If we're just talking at a cellular level, it's something else. It's bacteria and microbes. and Part of our microbiome so going outside walking running just going outside and gardening experiencing the light dawn and dusk are really important parts of experiencing the light and that doesn't mean you have to get up with the sunrise but when you wake up you need to go be in the light and before you go to sleep you need to be in the light that infrared light, that setting sun is super important to helping us get into the rhythm of sleep. And, you know, I'm sure everyone has heard, don't have your screens on before you go to sleep because it's that bright blue light that tells our pineal gland that it's time to wake up. And it's not. It's time to go to sleep. And that's part of the reason infrared light therapy is also booming because it's uh, one of the things that helps trigger us into the relaxation and the healing phase in our bodies. That's what sleep does is it repairs. It repairs and heals. And so just exposing the body to the infrared light that comes with a setting sun turns on healing, <laughs> you know? So our ancestors weren't dealing with this because they didn't necessarily have artificial light. You know, even candle flames and fires are still producing that infrared light and help lead us into trance, help lead us into the sleep phase, help lead us into that healing and restoration. And I think as magicians, being aware of the cycles and the importance of the lights uh, is just extremely natural for us. We're already, you know, into qualities of time and paying attention to cycles and all of this other stuff. And I know I'm kind of astrologer talking here, but it is so important that we connect with the land around us. And that doesn't just mean physical land below our feet. That means the outside environment, not in our houses, not in front of our screens, uh, not in the artificial light and digital light, but in the real light outside. You still there? Nope. 
Sorry about that, folks. I think Lee is reconnecting here. Hopefully he will be back in just a moment. Uh, isn't the internet fun? Yes. Um, so we've had some good conversation in the chat about meds and that sort of thing. Uh, Yolandi said, I find that arts and crafts in conjunction with my meds works like a dream. Absolutely, I agree. Creativity is a very important part of the process of um, being able to engage with ourselves. Oops, okay. I'm back. Yep, you're back. Okay, Lee's back. Am I back? Okay. We're having lots of fun. <laughs> yep. Mm. All right. <sighs> delays, delays everywhere. Everything. Here we go. I'm, I'm all back. Hello. <laughs> all right. Well, I was going to say, shall we have a quick break and make more hot chocolate and then we can get into Dark Knight of the Soul? That sounds good. That? Yep. We might have to make these a, a regular thing. Um, we've got a huge list here of things to talk about, but I think this is a really important topic. So keep your questions and comments coming, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome here. back to here? Into okay. the Wildwood. Today we're... I'm here, yes. Go ahead. Sorry, we have <laughs> we have a really weird delay uh, between us on Discord, so it may be a bit uh, strange. It's strange for us. Um, welcome back. And uh, we are talking about health, uh, mental health and today. <laughs> Uh, oh goodness! Um, Sappho is here. Hello, Sappho. Hello, hello. And, and yeah, lots of folks Craig in said, the chat as today. If ma by magic, Leah appears. Uh, well, hopefully, our yeah, magic can stuff. hold it. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. From Neo Knight, uh, I've been practicing for a few years now, but only heard of the term Dark Knight of the Soul for the first time recently. I researched about it, but maybe you two could give us your take on it in general. Yeah, this is actually a bit of a difficult one. Um, because I've heard Dark, Dark Knight of the Soul being interpreted in variety of different ways. The way I interpret it is that um, you kind of get to a point where everything just becomes too much and you you do hit a plateau but, but you get into almost a, a depressed state um, and you don't feel like you can move forward. You kind of hit that wall and that's when it gets um, usually interpreted as a state of depression, um, but it's not quite the same, but it feels so similar that it's difficult to actually uh, discern between the two, usually. And Jono is here. Hello, Jono. Hello. There's also the dark night of the soul that is the loss of faith. 
that happens for many people, um, the disillusionment that happens when their worldview breaks. And what they believed before was true turns out not to be true. They have experiences that disprove that. So I think the dark night of the soul is a pretty um, umbrella term that covers quite a few things. Um, the I've also heard people talk about it, um, not necessarily in terms of their faith leaves them, but their magic leaves them. Um, especially in circles of, of fellow diviners, there is a, a point when you're practicing, when you've relied on intuition and it's not there, you know, nothing comes through. You're not getting those messages anymore. So uh, that is also considered a dark night of the soul. There's a lot of things here, but all of them tend to be something we interpret as negative. Something goes wrong. Stuff doesn't work the way it did before. And um, we cannot, we can no longer continue doing the things we were doing before in order to achieve success at this point. We have to make changes. We have to find new ways of working. We have to find new ways through it. And especially if it's occurring when we're depressed, if we feel it's our fault, if we're uh, still living in a worldview that has guilt as part of the paradigm, it you can get stuck in the mud down there. Definitely stuck in the mud down there. And, and that makes it even more difficult. Um, Craig says, I found that poor mental health has triggered my potential as a psychic. Anyone else? Um, I think there's a lot of things involved in that. Uh, poor physical health can trigger people and, and open up their psychic abilities also. So um, we could go into a whole show about that also. But there is... Um, eh, okay. Nope. There we go. Sorry. We're having lots of fun here with all of the technical things. So there is definitely an involvement in the process of depression, dark night of the soul, um, breaking of mental or physical health that can open up the doors to psychic abilities, intuition, all of those sorts of things. They are, they are part of that process for a lot of people. They are not the only doorway through, of course, but they are definitely a, a possibility. Um, we hear this referred to in some earlier uh, literature also as a shamanic crisis. Um, some crisis in the life that leads us to choose uh, to go forward in a certain way and often the we are suddenly awake to our intuition to our psychic abilities um, however you want to define that however that goes through there's so many different ways to word it here so however that happens that is also a common experience sorry i'm i'm watching all of this stuff here trying to get lee back and trying to talk uh, let's see. Solemn Sun says, complete paradigm shifting. A transformative and an initiatory walk through a desert is how I feel it's happening. Oh, that's a very good description. Um, uh, the great song, I've been through the desert on a horse with no name, comes to mind. That's a song about a dark night of the soul. 
about being in a place where the resources you once had are no longer available, where the the um, abundance that you could draw on is not there anymore. And this is not necessarily a once-in-a-lifetime experience either. Uh, it happens multiple times throughout our lifetimes because we are ever-shifting beings and we live in an environment that is dynamic. And there are various things that also come up within us that may cause us to withdraw consciously or unconsciously. And we may be able to reach out to those same resources again later, um, just like healing crises come along, that sort of thing. Or it may be a shift in environment. Um, or what I find quite often it is, is especially when it's through the process of practice. So we're going along and we're learning and we hit that plateau. And then instead of breaking through to the next thing, we, we fall into that dark night of the soul. It's kind of like magical burnout. We've pushed our abilities so far in one direction that we've depleted our own resources and we can't, um, we can't find balance anymore. We've lost our state of balance and being out of balance, it, you do it too long and too hard and you will eventually no longer be able to do magic because your body will go into that survival mode and shut down those unnecessary things. Um, Neonite says, uh, thanks for the explanation. And yes, I feel like I had that happen once about 10 years ago. Yeah, I think most people who are psychic, um, magicians, you know, again, all of these terms can point to one of these crises somewhere in their life, uh, or in early life. Um, but sometimes later on in the process after studying also a lot of different things. Uh, Solemn Sun says, Carl Jung speaks deeply about the dark night. Absolutely. Um, Jung, the father of depth psychology, definitely goes into all of that. And if you're far into Jung and you want some more, I highly recommend you go uh, studying um, Hillman, James Hillman, as his perspective is very much involved with the alchemical processes and myths. Again, uh, there's also, of course, Oh, my brain. Joseph Campbell and the exploration of the myths. Of course, there's criticism in modern paganism against Campbell about monomyths and the universalization. But that's what um, Campbell was doing, was finding the, the universal threads in myth and relating them to the depth psychology that Jung uh, had brought out of that understanding. Let's see, Jono says, poor mental health mixes stuff up. So if you're on the path, it may very well move you forward out of whatever space you had been in. Also, the resultant self-awareness is magically valuable. I agree. Oh, here we go. Lee's back. <laughs> yeah, got it. Sorry about that. Um, the internet keeps disconnecting and now my whole chat's disappeared. I can still see the chat. We're still... Okay, let's see. Uh, Yolandi says, Having major depression and being an empath can be difficult some days. I sometimes have problems figuring whether I feel my own or someone else's emotions. 
Yes, mm -hmm. I, I agree. Um, if you're naturally empathic and you're feeling other people's emotions, I think it's very vital that you uh, learn, practice, um, like again, that, that daily practice that always return to it, shielding and grounding and learn how to separate that out. Because when you get that confusion of not being able to tell if it's your emotions or someone else's emotions, that gets to be a mess super quick, super quick. So we don't, don't go down that path if you can possibly avoid it. Um, what modern new age culture terms as being an empath, I think is actually a leaky aura or lack of an auric shield. That doesn't mean being an empath is not a thing. I'm talking about, you know, internet pop culture of this idea that empaths are completely out of control of what they experience and out of control of their own emotions and are just constantly picking up other people's emotions. And of course, being depressed, having other mental health problems makes that even more difficult. And when we're sick, we're not as capable of maintaining our boundaries. But um, I think it is not helpful, this idea that to be in that state where you cannot maintain boundaries at all, where you are always empathic and always at the mercy of other people, that's not a healthy state either. So mm. that's, that's not just the default of an empath. That's lacking maintaining those boundaries, maintaining that auric shield. And I think the, I, the normalization of that, as if that's just what an empath is, keeps people from realizing that there is a way to find that healthier boundary, that healthier um, state of being able to control when you want to pick up on others' feelings and when you don't. And then, of course, there's also the fact that um, with autism specifically, um, they have ex more mirror neurons and a much higher um, empathic response just at the base level. So um, autistic people, we pick up on other people's emotions and often pick up on it because we are mirroring at a higher level than normal, baseline, whatever, because we have more mirror neurons. And that's often interpreted before we know what's going on as being an empath because we think it's our own. That, that mirror neuron tells us this is the feeling that is happening and most of us are not um, separated from the causality of our feelings. We think our feelings come first and then the actions follow. So that's something to also consider in this, this paradigm of mental health is that being overwhelmed by other emotion, others' emotions is something that autistics have to deal with at a much higher level than neurotypicals or holistic people would. It was an interesting exercise I heard once, and I'm not sure how effective it is, um, in order to try and define someone else's emotions that you're feeling as opposed to your own. And it was to um, imagine that they are a ball of energy and then give it a color. And it, 
it kind of it kind of allows the person to almost separate that and hold it up here and view it rather than experiencing it directly. I'm not sure how effective that would be, but it seemed uh, quite a good thing at the time. Well, the two things I find the most helpful for me are grounding um, mm. and, and practicing grounding to the point where it can be an automatic response. This is the same thing as learning to drive until it's an automatic thing. When you're first learning to drive and operate all the controls on a car, you cannot have a conversation, right? Because mm -hmm. all you're thinking about is all the controls on the car. But after you've been driving so long, you can have a conversation. You can do other things, you know, while you're driving. It often leads to distracted driving because we're not paying attention. But there's other things that we need to learn to be automatic. And grounding is something we need to learn to be automatic. Um, it helps with anxiety, too. But it definitely helps with... Um, being bombarded with other people's emotions uh, and that practice grounding when you're not in that state, when you're not around other people, when you're not being bombarded, all of those things until you've developed that muscle to the point where it is, you know, you can, you can flex it and you can use it as a tool when those emotions hit you. And especially when you can't figure out if it's you or someone else, you know, um, because that that's a very common experience for for autistic people and for impasse. We can't differentiate it because emotions tend to be kind of they jump to the forefront and they overwhelm everything else that's going on. And so having that automatic grounding response helps. And then the meditation of separation, uh, which I use the four of cups uh, tarot card as the example of being able to pull yourself back and observe emotions and observe feelings uh, very similar to what you were talking about with you know turn it into a color and, uh, and a ball of light over here whether you're doing that visually um, whether it's through storytelling something it's about becoming the observer and again these are skills you build up when you're not in that state when you're not experiencing the emotions from others when you're not experiencing the overwhelm yourself you build up that skill so that you have you know what that observer place feels like and you can retreat to it when you need mm. to. And instead of it being a long drawn out meditation, which is how it starts, how we build those skills, it you have to be in control of every little thing and pay attention to all this stuff. Eventually you will get so used to doing it that you can continue the conversation while you drive the car. You can pull back to that observer status because you know how it feels and you can be like, oh, there's anger and, and there's happiness and there's fear. And I'm feeling fear and panic because they're feeling fear and panic. Let me see if I can add some calm to the situation. Let me ground and provide a way for that to all flow off. You know, and for me, um, especially of years of working with kids and adults in testing situations, um, I've gotten used to that, feel that rising fear and panic start to hit me. You know, it gets, gets up my chest a little bit. And then I just automatically ground center and drain all of that for everyone I'm around. I become that sink line of draining off all of that anxiety and panic and fear to help everyone calm down. And it's just an auto trigger at this point. So that's how I've dealt with it in addition to shielding and blocking 
Um, but shielding and blocking are very important early on because it's it's overwhelming, you know. Um, so all of those skills, build them up, work on them, return to them, use them. Yep, and those are skills that we all need, regardless. Mm-hmm. Go meditate, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And there's another thing I thought I have on my list to talk about. I hear so many people tell me, I have ADHD, I can't meditate. Mm. And I'm going to say no. Um, because meditation is not a quiet mind. Meditation is not sitting still. Meditation is not a silence in the mind. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about meditation. Meditation is building the muscles of focus so that you get to be in control of your focus. And when you have ADHD, there is high emotional impulsivity. Um, there is the feeling of being out of control of your focus. You're very aware of just how out of control of your focus you are. And the difference is, it's not willpower. Willpower is just having dopamine reserves. It's not a, a thing. Willpower, um, it's not bullying and overcoming your focus. It's learning to flow with it. It's learning to engage with it in a way that you understand what motivates you and what drives your focus. For ADHD, uh, that is novelty, urgency, and um, see, urgency and interest. So if you can make something novel and new, you can turn your focus there. Um, most people with ADHD have found urgency to be the way, that, and that's why anxiety comes with it. Um, you know, I have a 200-page paper to write. Well, I'm going to wait until the night before when the deadline is absolutely there, and then suddenly it all comes out because anxiety is, has become the driver for motivation. Anxiety has become the motivation for focus. And it works, and it works in schools especially, but the longer you go on with your life, the less and less it works, and it eventually burns out your adrenals, and then we're in burnout, and it's a whole mess. So um, you can't create artificial urgency as someone with ADHD because you can't lie to yourself. <laughs> You know, I know the guy who sets my schedule and he's pretty lax about it. So, um, but you can always, you know, buddy up with someone. Um, that's why I talked about things like book clubs. When you have, you know, you're going to meet with your book club and you know you have to have read those two chapters before the discussion, the urgency of having to appear for others and, and do it will drive you to read it. Um, but also novelty, go do it in a different place. You know, you don't want to meditate today, don't sit in the same place, go outside, do something else. Uh, your meditation can be staring at a leaf and a bug. You know, your meditation can be uh, playing with, with beads. Tactile process is extremely important for a lot of people uh, with ADHD. Your meditation can be running, it can be walking, it can be all sorts of things. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of different ways to meditate and you will gain control over your focus through that process. But just like I talked about with the idea that an empath is out of control of what they feel, 
the idea that people with ADHD can never gain control over their focus. It's a thought terminating cliche. It stops our, our willingness to try. If we're told it's impossible, well, we just throw up our hands and say it's impossible. And it's not impossible. It's just not the ways that most people talk about meditation. It's not the techniques that most people give for meditation. You know, the idea that you should sit down at the same time every day in the same way, light the same candle, say the same mantra in the same place, that's, that's like the worst advice there is for ADHD because it removes all novelty. So don't do it that way. Do it at a different time. Do it in a different way. Um, guided meditations help because there's an external focus. Scent helps greatly for a lot of people with ADHD because it triggers different parts of the brain. But it needs to be a different scent. You know, don't light the same incense every day. Pick different incenses, you know, um, and, and widely different incenses. Don't go floral, 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 you know, floral one day and something real woody the next day and something very sharp the next day. Um, so knowing how those motivations work is important to help you engage in the different ways and don't let anybody tell you there's things you can't do because of your diagnosis. That's, you know, all these doors are open. Um, I promise there have been many, many, many magicians in our past that had ADHD and autism who, <laughs> who hyper-focused on something and, and got through it. There's a lot of different ways. And um, meds may help for a lot of people with ADHD. Meds that allow them to focus, that calm down the constant chatter and the the racing thoughts can be the key that unlocks the ability for them to be able to find the control they want and find the the path through that they want. So, you know, not the way of the way through these basic exercises and the way to access these basics that we talk about is not the same for everyone. It's going to be different depending upon your brain map and how you engage. And the other part I gotta say is, is as a pagan, you don't need guilt. Mm. It's not part of our, our paradigm. It's not part of our worldview. It's unnecessary. If you fall off the horse, if you don't meditate for a week because you don't build habits and it flew right out of your mind, okay, don't beat yourself up for it. Just go back to the mat. You know, just get back on the horse. Just try again. Pick up it, pick it up in a new way. Find a new guided meditation. Find something that that springs that novelty for you. Find something that that drives that interest. Um, find something that that drives that imperative. And the other thing is, um, there is this idea that you should be able to do all of this on your own. And no. Working with others is an extremely important part of regulation and an extremely important part of interest for many neurodivergent people. It's why we talk about things like body doubling. Uh, body doubling is huge for people who want to do chores because chores are always the same. It's always the same dishes at the same sink, right? It's always the same floor you're vacuuming. It's always the same toilet you're cleaning. And so there's no novelty. But body doubling can turn on that ability to focus. So if you need somebody to meditate with, 
find classes, go to yoga classes, go to meditation classes. They're ideal for that. Um, form groups online if you need that or find groups online. Sometimes just being on the phone with someone can be enough for that body doubling. You know, just to have somebody there on a video call sometimes also without necessarily the um, audio interaction. And for some people, they can do body doubling with um, pets, animals. That works. It doesn't work for others. Some people can also do it with stuffed animals and uh, toys that resemble people or animals. And that works and it doesn't work for other people. So try it. Try all of the options and see what works for you. And then keep that toolkit handy because, as we talked about with the Dark Knight of the Soul, sometimes tool works for a while and then it doesn't. And you need to know some other tool to turn to, something else to try. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, when it comes to meditation, we're always talking about, um, well, everybody's always talking about um, quieting the mind, stilling the mind, uh, reaching observer mind or wise mind, um, all of these things that we're trying to aim towards. And I don't think they should be goals. Um, they're almost like byproducts of actually just sitting. Um, because through the action of sitting and getting into meditation is almost reducing the outside stimuli. And it's that outside stimuli that then stops and we get to be with ourselves or with somebody else um, who's doing the same thing. But the, the aim of becoming still or stilling the mind or quieting the mind puts a lot of pressure on people. Um, but if you just do a sitting, it's almost like a byproduct that that happens anyway. We start to uh, reduce stress. We start to move into that observer mind um, just automatically by doing the actual practice, I find. Well, sitting doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, um, well, sitting, I mean doing that practice yeah. of whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, that's why I prefer to call it meditation. Um, mm -hmm. And the observer mind, I think, is good as a marker, uh, perhaps not goal, but it is a marker of an achievement um, along the process of meditation to eventually mm. be able to achieve that observer mind. Um, uh, we talk about lust for result in magic a lot, and it applies here. If you're constantly striving for the thing, you'll probably miss it when you get the thing because mm. <laughs> many of these are so subtle and, and so different. And that's why I try to talk about so many different ways to access all of this, because sitting still does not work for everyone. Running does not work for everyone. Um, guided meditations do not work for everyone. Mantras do not work for everyone. But the thing is, each of those things will work for someone, and they're all worth a try. Uh, but meditation is not inaccessible, because it's not only quiet mind. It's not only silence. It's not only a reduction of stimulus. There are meditations that involve diving into the stimulus, diving into the um, increase. Uh, pattern recognition is a very good one for autistic people, and the exercises uh, I've found the most helpful are in Starhawk Spiral Dance that involve the process of pattern recognition visually, uh, uh, through audio, through smell, and, and then eventually applied internally through memory and through thoughts. And 
autistic people have very, very high pattern recognition skills. Uh, a lot of people with ADHD and ADD also do. Of course, I think I think ADD and ADHD are part of the autistic spectrum personally, but um, you know, so that's another way to dive in is is through those pattern recognition exercises. So all of this, uh, so many different ways to try and. My main message is don't get discouraged if one person's methods don't work for you mm. because you've got a different brain wiring than them. So go try something else, try a different set of methods. The thing is not to give up. Everybody needs to meditate just like everybody needs a physical um, health practice of some sort of physical activity and everybody needs to eat food. <laughs> you need to meditate. You need to maintain that pillar of your mental health and mm. it really is a foundational pillar um to to spend time with your mind to spend time with your thoughts and um not to run into distraction when overwhelm happens uh, it's handy to have it's definitely the uh, pablum that our society has provided us with mindless doom scrolling and all of these mental games and, and everything else on our phones, distraction is the way. Um, but you have to have other tools in your toolbox also. Mm. I think it's a whole doom scrolling thing as well. I mean, people say, oh, but they're just scrolling through and it's relaxing. It's not because you gain so much stimulus going into your brain at the same time. Mm -hmm. It actually, it's actually well, too much. For, for ADD and ADHD, often the relaxation is out the other side through, through the overwhelming stimulus. Instead of trying to take the already heightened internal stimulus and lower it down, that's very, very difficult to do. It's much easier to add external stimulus and heighten it up, and that calm is out the other side of that. So if that's the way that works for you, awesome. Doom scrolling is a problem because it it introduces us to ideas that we may not necessarily want in there. Um, so things like playing Tetris or again, um, certain videos where you are in control of the incoming stimulus and you know what it's going to be. So you can increase mm. that stimulus in that manner. It, it's when you're not in control of the stimulus and the algorithm is that it gets to be uh, problematic. But you know, if if uh, scrolling TikTok videos at night is what puts you to bed, cool. That's really common for people with ADHD. They need that heightened stimulus. Put on your your night filter on your phone so you're not getting that blue light, and pick a single channel that you know will have um, input that is happy, that uh, helps you along instead of is negative, or meditation videos uh, on YouTube, that sort of thing. And it doesn't have to be the same input. The reason TikTok works so well is because it's constantly changing stimulus. Mm. Uh, so that can be quite helpful. And then also don't forget, you know, vagus nerve reset kind of exercises um, and tactile stimulus is a big thing. That's why I've always got my mantra beads or I've always got a fidget toy or something like that it can really, really help to physically stim that's why stimming is such a big thing. Shaking really helps too. It, it's a uh, whole body stem, whole body stimulation that can help calm it. So don't feel that you have to go down in stimulation. You can go up in stimulation if that works better for you. And it does for a lot of neurodivergent people. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, let's see. Jono says, I've been on the path for a few years and it has helped me with my personal mental health. Would you ever recommend the path to a muggle with poor mental health or is it too risky or too unlikely to help? Uh, depends on their take. I mean, usually if, if somebody's not on the path, there's a reason for that. They don't want to be on the path. Um, so even just suggesting it would kind of make them run a mile, uh, yeah. which could be adverse to what you're actually trying to uh, introduce to them. Um, what I don't recommend is jumping into spirit contact. That's uh, yeah. with poor mental health. That's, that's just a, a recipe for disaster. Um, because if you're, if you're in poor mental health, you're not able to make those discernments about what's real and what's not real. And spirit contact is already dangerous and confusing enough. But meditation, absolutely. Um, it can be very helpful. Um, meditation can help with depression. It definitely helps with anxiety. It just depends on the circumstances and what's going on. But uh, when you are in poor mental health, when your world is breaking, don't break it further. It's not time to start taking apart your worldview. Um, it's not time to purposely dive into that dark night of the soul and start changing your faith. Although it does happen for a lot of people at that point uh, because of the healing crisis. But to do that purposely is, I don't think, a wise decision. I think um, an introduction to meditation and mindfulness would be a start. And if they do show interest in introducing them to something like Buddhism, um, getting them a bit further down the line, if they show more interest, then you can start introducing them to um, other things. But, uh, you know, I think it's probably not a good idea to throw somebody in the deep end. Um, I don't. I don't know that I'd push someone towards Buddhism as a specific worldview or anything like that. I mean, if they're pagan, they're pagan. Yeah. Um, but um, mindfulness practices are also very important for mental health. And so by mindfulness practices, we mean things like entering that observer state. Um, a lot of people do it through journaling. You know, you can observe what you're thinking if you write it all down and read it later because you're mm. not in that state anymore and there's a record of it. Um, just the act of writing can be enough physical stimulation to enter a calmer state, uh, whether that's flow of consciousness or a bullet journaling, which is basically just filling out worksheets, you know. Um, but also if, if writing's not your thing for whatever reason, recording stream of consciousness talking it's one of the reasons why talking to a friend can be so terribly healing and wonderful it's because you have that body doubling you have emotional feedback and mirror neurons usually they can be calm and help you co-regulate and then you have the process of mindfulness by talking about how you feel i went through this experience and this is how it made me feel and um, another marker more common in neurodivergent people is external processing as opposed to internal processing. I'm one of those people that I can't process my feelings unless I do it externally. I'm, I have alexithymia, that terrible word, meaning I'm, I'm, I have a very hard time perceiving my own feelings. So I can 
much easier perceive them when they're outside of me. And I do that by journaling and by talking. Um, you know, I have friends where I, I have to say, hey, I just need to talk something out. I don't really need feedback from them. I don't need advice or input. I just have to like talk and I will I will figure it out by the time I'm to the end of what I'm talking about. Mm. You know, but I need another person to co-regulate with. I need another person to be there um, and help me through that process, even though it's not a mental process for them. And so that may be a situation too. And it's always nice to have fellow neurodivergent friends that need the same thing. And you can trade back and forth on that co-regulation mm. and be, be that for each other at different times. Mm. Uh, let's see. Craig says, I got help from a well-known magician to get to where I am today. He's been a gift to me. Yeah, we need one another. And it doesn't need always need to be in a teacher-student or mentor-mentee kind of relationship. Just let's walk the path together. Mm. Uh, Jono says, my favorite meditations are gardening and making a fire safely and then staring at that fire. Yes, absolutely. Uh, fascination is extremely uh, useful, um, especially for people with ADHD that have hyperactivity as opposed to the inattentive type. A visual stimulation of something like a fire or a dancing candle flame is enough to be constantly interesting and turn on that interest motivation. Um, back in the day when we had um, Winamp and we had the um, you know music dancing generated uh, little... Uh, yeah, that's an old name. <laughs> um, those were some of my favorite things. I think there's still some some music image generation tools out there uh, that work really well for that, that are constantly generating fractal uh, radial symmetrical images uh, to the music and having that music and image sync also increases the um, interest stimulation and, and can be a wonderful doorway into meditation and, and calming. And of course, my favorite meditation is also gardening. Nothing, nothing gets me centered, regulated, grounded, and back in myself like going and digging in the dirt and having to focus on where is the weeds and what do I need and every once in a while finding a worm and getting to talk to the worm <laughs> and talk to the squirrels and the birds and that sort of thing. Yolandi uh, mm. says, I have a coloring game on my phone that helps me calm down. But yeah, that's a good one too. On your phone or or... Uh, you know, on paper, coloring is really, really wonderful. Again, it's that um, interest uh, occupies a part of the mind, uh, focuses on visual stimulation. So it often uh, re-regulates um, multiple areas of the brain because to coordinate visual stimulation with the uh, physical actions brings in that, that regulatory experience. So whether that's, you know, a, a physical coloring book or on the phone or whatever, Coloring is a great way to do it. Um, I like to print off um, pages on nice heavy paper and color with my alcohol markers. Uh, but some people like coloring books too. And there's there's lots of really cool witchy themed ones out there. You know, mm. it, it doesn't have to be kids coloring books. Adult coloring books are, are a huge market and, and readily available. Uh, and you don't have to color inside the lines. You don't have to follow any rules. You do whatever the hell you want. It's your coloring book, you know. I mean, coming into that would also be um, the uh, mandalas. 
Mm, yes. Creation of mandalas where you're actually, especially with the sand, very different colored sand, and you're actually creating patterns with different colors. And for hours and hours, you can go um, create that hyper focus again. The traditional practice of that in uh, many parts of India is called Rangoli. And, uh, you know, you can really research that, go down that hole for making Rangoli. It's, it's a spiritual practice an honoring of, of inviting the gods into your home, um, especially Lakshmi uh, is connected with uh, bringing her blessings into the home through the practice of Rangoli. Um, so, you know, whether that's done with sand in those traditional ways or whether you'd like to do it with some other ways, I know, um, when my kids were little, I bought a bunch of those bags of the little glass gems in different colors. And we would sit down and make pretty patterns with the glass gems. That was, mm. that was the calming, grounding activity that worked very well. And uh, it calmed them, but it also calmed me uh, from being overstimulated and, and being autistic and dealing with toddlers and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Lego building is really good for that, too because it's the same thing as coloring it's the it's all those same kinds of things so i know there is often a label for those of us that are neurodivergent that we are childish and uh, mentally young or mentally unstimulated because we enjoy our toys you know we enjoy having stuffed animals but they often help with co-regulation we enjoy having things like legos and fidget spinners and those sort of things but they're great for stemming we enjoy our coloring books because they're wonderful for grounding and, again, re-regulation. So don't feel like those people that tell you it's childish and you can't have it because you're too grown up for that. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Humans are humans. and We all need to be more childish anyway. Yeah. Enjoying, enjoying that childlike wonder and returning to play is super important. We learn so much better in play because we are regulated. We are in a state of receiving. We are in a state of openness. Mm. And, you know, to that end, there are many, many games that are actually divination. That's part of the reason why uh, many uh, ancient forms of divination, there's this long process before you get to the reading part. It's not quick. You don't just sit down, shuffle, and turn cards in five minutes. There's a 30-minute process of a game and a back and forth and a regulation that brings you down from that uh, high active state into that regulated trance state, where there, by the time you get to the message, you're ready to receive it. Mm. So, you know, keep that in mind, too, that in our busy workaday lives, that that pace is not necessarily required. Um, and it's not necessarily healthy, especially for magic, you know, especially for entering trance states. Mm. Uh, Jono, do you have something else? No, I'm just, I'm just going to say we've got another question because I can't see anything. I'm completely <laughs> blind. Uh, <laughs> Jono says, the two of you are magical people. What do you personally do to mitigate general anxiety? Uh, mine would be breathing. Um, it's actually um, some years back I, I suffered from anxiety attacks. And I distinctly remember a very vivid memory of going to the doctor. And he was a, a, a small little guy. 
and uh, he sat me down and he, he explained to me anxiety as being uh, computers all over the body. And you may be as happy as a pig in shit, and there's just one little thought that comes comes past and it triggers a computer in your chest and you start you feel a, a bit of a, a tweak in your chest and you think something wrong with your heart which then triggers more computers and more computers and it gets to back to the mainframe and your brain starts saying you know this is a problem so yeah she yeah she sat me down i mean i was already practicing meditation and, and i was a pagan at the time he sat me down and taught me how to meditate which I, I just, I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Um, but it was, he explained it as um, a bucket of water and hearing the water flowing, you know, just bringing, bringing yourself into a calm state. So for me, it really is sitting down and not having anybody else around because as soon as, as soon as somebody comes to me and says, are you okay? It just starts up again. Um, and then just breathing. You know. I, I like my breathing exercises when I can remember to do them. Um, but sometimes, you know, in the middle of an anxiety attack, that's not easy. I find co-regulation with other people helps me a lot. But it has to be somebody I really trust. Yeah. Um, and uh, m my favorite is getting my partner to lay on top of me and just press me into the ground. Um, deep pressure is uh, one of those vagus nerve reset things. Um, I will also sometimes roll up in a blanket or a sheet, again, for deep pressure and roll it very, very tightly around me. I recommend a lot of times for people to give themselves a hug by wrapping something tightly and pulling it tightly around them for that deep pressure stimulation. Um, I like my weighted blanket. That helps. Again, it's the deep pressure stimulation. Um, I will often turn to... Uh, binaural beats uh, something I, that works really well for me and I use as a, a tool in my toolkit very frequently um, for me smells are very overstimulating so a lot of times I put on a mask to reduce the smells because I can't, I can't handle any more smells and that's really hard to control in most environments so I, I've been one of those people that's been wearing face masks for much much longer than the pandemic was around um, I will also um, physically uh, react. Uh, one of my main methods I used for a long time was I'd get up and I'd clean. And, uh, you know, I always referred to it as anxiety cleaning. But uh, I don't think that's necessarily a healthy coping mechanism. But it exhausted me. It didn't yeah. really end the panic state. But that was one way I dealt with it. Um, and another thing that I didn't think was a healthy, healthy coping mechanism was the things that many of us turn to with anxiety, like biting the inside of my cheek, pressing my fingernails into the palms of my hands, those sort of things, because those eventually lead to self-harm. But what they do is they cause a stimulus to focus on other than the anxiety. Mm. And so uh, finding binaural beats for that helps. I play Tetris on my phone as that helps calm and helps me regulate my thoughts. Um, I don't color so much because I tend to kind of daydream when I color. So that doesn't help anxiety for me. But um, my coping mechanisms switch over time. You know, I'll have one thing that works for a while and then I'll go to it and it's just not doing it. And I got to switch to something else. 
And so I always try to have multiple things in my toolkit to return mm. to that. Now, if I can catch it before I'm into the heart racing, breathing shallow, you know, leading towards a panic attack state, I can do the logical focus on be in the ever present now. And because anxiety is a focus on the past or the future instead of now, you know, worrying about what's going to happen, what could be, what's out of my control, what can I not make safe? Those are my big anxiety triggers. If I can catch it early, I can focus on what is in my control, what is in the now, you know, where am I? Um, the five, four, three, two, one meditation, five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can smell, uh, two things you can feel, and one thing you can taste. That's a very common um, anxiety step down kind of process. And sometimes I can use that and it's helpful. Sometimes I'm too far along in the process and it doesn't work. Um, another one I've used in the past is pacing. Just get that physical energy out you know, walk, um, and, um, shaking. I like all over shaking. Again, I have to catch it pretty early in order to use that for myself, but really just standing up and just, you know, the entire body shaking in every way I can. And I usually uh, bend over, kind of hang over and, and shake my upper body and let it hang. And, and move my hips and move my knees and just try to get everything loose and get my spine loose. And that'll ho often help to reduce that anxiety also. So, but again, I feel it's important to have a lot of tools in your toolbox hmm. because not everything works every day. Um, is there a difference between anxiety and panic? Um, the reason I ask is because when I say anxiety, I'm at that point where I can't breathe, uh, which is why being alone and using breath work actually helps me. But is that I'm, the point of panic? I'd say that's the beginning of a panic attack. That's what I identify heart um, and breathing issues. When I feel like my heart is racing, when I feel like I can't breathe or I get tightness in my chest, I identify that as the beginning of a panic attack. And if I let it go on, it turns into a full-blown panic attack and I'm often no longer in control at that point and that's when it gets really really scary mm. you know because again for me part of anxiety is being out of control it's worrying about those things that i can't control worrying about those things that i can't stop mm. yeah i'm sure i was arguing with my daughter the other day that there's a difference between anxiety and panic attack and she said, no, there isn't. Well, <laughs> general anxiety disorder is also just being constantly worried about stuff, not necessarily being, having a panic attack, but being up in that, that heightened state of worry. And, you know, we can get into that where we're in that state for months um, mm. and just in that heightened state. And, that includes a heightened state of awareness, which is exhausting uh, because you're consciously or unconsciously monitoring your environment all the time, you know, and, and this is, this is very common for people with neurodivergencies because most people with neurodivergencies experienced a lot of rejection or uh, abuse 
just by being different and, and not fitting in. You know, if you're constantly told your feelings are not valid or your experiences are not valid, it results in, in a lot of anxiety. Um, there's many theories in autistic communities that what does an untraumatized autistic person look like? And there's a few people, but they'll never be diagnosed as autistic because all of the diagnostic criteria are based on trauma symptoms. Mm. And that's why it's so hard to separate complex PTSD from autism because if you have autism and you exist in a normal um, neurotypical society, you will develop complex PTSD because your experiences are constantly being invalidated. You're constantly told you shouldn't feel that way or this shouldn't cause pain or this shouldn't be overwhelming and, you know, that sort of thing. All right, have we got any other questions, though? Nope, I don't see any more in the chat. I, I assume that I'm still uh, getting live updates on the chat. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, we've we've gone over a lot of stuff. Although we only hit two things on my list. <laughs> well, we can do another show. <laughs> do another show. Um, yeah. absolutely. And if there are people that, uh, if you'd like to continue this discussion, uh, you can join us in the Discord. We can set up a specific channel if folks would like to to have a channel just for um, neurodivergency and and magic intersections, or we can talk about it in the lounge or whatever works um i do find that there are a lot of us in paganism that are neurodivergent um because neurotypical society doesn't work for us and usually we end up also rejecting uh the religion or the faith uh, that goes along with that the the western christianity the protestant calvinist kind of christianity and and finding paganism or we're raised by uh, neurodivergent parents who already did that for us because uh, all of this is genetic. Generally speaking, if you're autistic, you're related to someone who's autistic. And if you have ADHD, you're related to somebody who has ADHD because it, it runs in the genes, as they say. Mm. All right, then. Um, so as we said, we probably won't be here live next week, but we will do put up the one of the book talks. Um, if we do find that there's no load shedding next week, we will be here next week with something. Um, but yeah, we will and then, have something up. And then the week after that uh, will be the last week, week of the month, so we'll be doing the astrological forecast. Yep. All right. Uh, so that's it for us for this week. And uh, give us a thumbs up if you haven't already. Helps us. Uh, get more people into the chat. Yep. Thank you all so much for being here today and talking with us and hanging with us through all of our fun technicalities. Remember, Mercury is visible again and still retrograde until the 15th, so we've got three more days of serious, serious <laughs> problems. <laughs> but As we demonstrated today. <laughs> the 15th will be kind of sucky and then things should get better after that. <laughs> I really appreciate everybody sharing in the chat. Uh, we didn't, we weren't able to read everything that was in the chat, which is great. Everybody's sharing and talking, and it's wonderful. And 
everybody has something to contribute to this because we all have our experiences. I just want to encourage you all to keep sharing and keep talking about your experiences because that's how we help all boats rise. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode. And don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com. That's Wildwood with a Y. And if you would like to support us, you can leave a donation on the website.